0: these books. I thought I'd take some light reading in case I got bored. Hello and welcome to TFM's Local Books and Comic Show, Literary Tracks, and I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rishi. So excited to have back with us the one and only, the fantastically brilliant Bruce Gibson. I'm here. I'm just here. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. No, I I I get that completely. Uh, It's been a a strange week since um, as we're recording uh, my wife and I just got back from vacation uh, and so uh, trying to get back into normal first day of work tons of catch up today but we're going to be talking about some great stuff here in Literary Trex as we continue on with that 24th century uh, series really excited we finally reached uh, another Titan book fallen gods but uh before we get into that we've got some news to get into and so uh and actually Bruce uh before we do that want to just say uh thank you for listening to literary tracks and you know don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts you know we're on every single platform out there and of course if you're on Apple Podcasts we'd love to have a review it's been a really long time since literary tracks has had a new review We'd appreciate that. Uh, it helps people find the show, of course. And uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter at Trek FM or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek Members only discussion group called the Babel Conference on Facebook. You can join and talk to listeners from all over the world uh, about what's going on in here in the network, especially as we've got some great things coming up. We're revamping some stuff. We've got some surprises coming out for everyone soon. So I hope you'll uh, be checking that out. Course, you could uh, send us an email if you'd like at trek.fm. Contact. Just choose a show, choose literary tracks, and that comes to Bruce, Chris, and I. Uh, And also, you can also follow us over on Instagram at TrekFM as well. So, all of those places, we'd love to interact with you and appreciate you uh, doing that already if you are. Now, Bruce, this is the penultimate issue of year five with issue 24. And honestly, this issue kind of puts a bow on everything really. And so I'm going to be interested to see where they go, you know, because we close out the story like it, it, you know, we, we end with what happens with Gary seven and the Tholians. And then like, it really does feel like an end here as Kirk and, and, you know, um, Spock walk off the bridge together. So, you know, as we bring it to an end, I'm really interested to hear what you thought of The resolution first with the story between Kirk and Gary Seven, because in all honesty, I felt like that was the strongest part to me because it was so personal between Kirk and Gary Seven, the conversation that they have.
1: Yeah, I'd love to hear what you have to say about that, Uh, you know. Going into this issue, knowing that there's a issue 25, that's going to be more of like Mm -hmm. a super size issue. I wasn't necessarily expecting this to be resolved, the storyline to be resolved in this issue. So I was pleasantly surprised to see that. And it is good to see how really Kirk talks Gary seven down (laughs) in a sense Mm -hmm. and That they have these parallel paths with each other, that and how they address things in their lives, and that everything's about the mission. You know, Kirk's pointing out, you know, it's all with us, it's always about what our mission is. And the thing I liked about Mm -hmm. this storyline throughout all these issues with Gary Seven, it was so unexpected on how they portrayed Gary Seven and doing his mission and the death of ISIS. I mean, I was half expecting they'd find some way to bring ISIS back at the end of this issue. And I'm glad they didn't go that route. Uh, So yeah, I was
0: pleasantly surprised. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought what was really interesting is that how Kirk gets to Gary seven, like what it is that he, he gets him with, which is the idea of, Hey, I understand what you're going through. I understand who you are. In many ways, you are the person who gave up everything for the mission. you gave up everything for this mission you believe in, and you have nobody now you You feel like you have nobody um, because the only person you had was this one friend that you had made along the way, and that's that 's gone for you now too and, and Kirk feels that loss. As well, because everybody that he knows is going their separate ways from the Enterprise. And he has this son that he'll never know. You know, he has this uh, estranged love that he had, Carol Marcus, that, you know, really doesn't want him around. You know, he knows what it's like to kind of have given everything up for the mission and, and not necessarily kind of be in a position where you don't really feel like you have much left. And I I thought that that was really introspective of Kirk, and I think it really plays into, you know, a lot of the struggles that you see with him, especially as you get into the movie era, and even kind of reminds me of some of the things to which he's going to talk about with Picard and Generations, you know, and to to why he would choose Antonia in that. You know, what would lead him to, like, what did he get out of it all, right? and um and he you know talks about the idea of you know being the person who has their hands on the scales of like uh the of like justice for the galaxy and 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 being a part of like moving the galaxy forward in a really uh clear way and so you know i just i think it's it's such a good speech that kirk gives because it really is a kind of a great deconstruction of who that character is and what's you know happened to him um i i really i thought that was, that was really good it is good but i and i wanted
1: to reread it i've only read it the one time and i really wanted to go back and reread it but i haven't had the chance to do that yet but gary's focus has been on stopping kirk even killing kirk to prevent all this destruction that could come to the universe because of Kirk's actions mm-hmm. and it all is this domino effect all these other things are to come. So I get Kirk's speech, but to me was that enough to prevent Gary from doing what he was doing to stop his
0: mission? You know, I I think it's interesting because it's a it is a good question. You know, is it enough? And I th- think i don't know i don't really know if i have an answer to you uh and for you on that um the only thing i can think is there's a line where
1: kirk says and i'm looking through the issue now says we'll face the future together as if the future in a lot of cases has been written but going forward in what would be kirk's future set gary seven could be there with him like they'll do it together and Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I, I'm just struggling to put that all together as to mm-hmm. why that would bring Gary Seven down to say, I'm done.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think possibly what brings him down is that he feels understood, like he doesn't feel alone in the galaxy, like he feels like somebody gets him. And I think that kind of plays in with the same conversation that Spock and Kirk have on the bridge as they're, you know, wrapping up on the enterprise and leaving and that they are two people, you know, who do understand each other. You know, you even get hinted at that Spock realizes Kirk's not going to be riding a desk forever, you know, because that's not him and um, Kirk trying to make the best of the situation, like, you know, talking about um, how uh, it's not going to be that bad and all that kind of stuff. But you, I really got kind of reading between the lines with what Spock was saying is I got the feeling like, you know, he he understands his friend better than maybe his friend understands himself at this moment. And maybe that is why Gary Seven is able to let go is because somebody does get where he's coming from, you know, maybe even more so than ISIS, right? You know, he, he gets somebody who's like Kirk sees through him and like, uh, maybe that's enough. Um, but I, I do understand what you're saying. It almost feels like maybe there needed to be more there too. Um, I like it a lot. I think it's a really, it's a really great Kirk speech. Yeah. Um, and and mainly because of what it allows us to be introspective about Kirk um but i also i do think you have a really great point of is that really enough for Gary 7 who has been so sold out to what he's doing um all this whole time and and i mean maybe maybe it also comes down to that Gary no longer wants to be a pawn in somebody else's game, which Kirk kind of points to as well, you know, and pokes at the whole idea of, of like, um, trying to be the, the captain of your own ship, you know, and maybe he's just tired of being Aegis's pawn. Yeah. I mean that,
1: that, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I do wonder though did Kirk also in a way where okay so let's talk about Gary 7 real quick. So when we sure. see Gary 7 in you know TOS and some other things Gary 7 is I don't feel like he's trying to rewrite history. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's trying to prevent the destruction of the human race or prevent the destruction from of any mm-hmm. other race. In this case he's going back and trying to fix a timeline. And I've never really Mm -hmm. got the sense that he's the type of person that's going to go back and keep changing the timeline and hope that it works out in the end. And so maybe because Kirk is chasing him through the timeline and preventing Mm -hmm. him, he's wearing him down and saying, you know, I mean, he doesn't say this, but in a way, history has already been written and we can't fix the past and we can't Mm -hmm. fix your past to Gary, and we can't just stay on this mission of trying to fix everything because it won't be—you know—it can't be fixed. You—you can't—you can't, you can't fill your loss by trying to correct the universe.
0: Yeah. No, I—I I think that's that's absolutely right. I, I think. And and what was fascinating, and it's ties into what we see with Spock and the Tholians, is that this whole plan is actually going to be something that backfires, right? Because Spock has seen the end. Right. And I think that's that's the thing is that Gary's plan is not going to bring about what he thinks it's going to bring about. And and that's really interesting that the character is is fighting a losing battle in many ways like he's he's not even going to get what he thinks he wants which is saving the universe because the plan he's enacted with the tholians is actually going to bring about the end of everything and that's definitely not what he wants and that's not going to make him feel fulfilled <laughs> or happy because he'll be dead <laughs> you know like i think i think that's really interesting so yeah, I. It it's a it's a really interesting issue, and it almost makes me feel as though I, f- I think the last two issues would have been better served almost to have the entire issue be about the resolution between Kirk and Gary Seven, an entire issue, and then the uh, the other issue be an entire resolution between Spock and the group with the Tholians, and then what plays out uh, in the uh, the you know the federation president battle because I feel like the Gary Seven part with Kirk just needed more page time so you could really talk through all these issues. Well, I know we're getting
1: one more issue, but like I said, it seems to be a, more of a standalone from this mm-hmm. storyline, and yep. it's almost like we maybe we just needed just that one more issue to play out this storyline again. I'm I'm as we're talking, I'm going back and rereading some things, but I do see Gary freaking out saying, You can't see past your own ambition. Everything can die as long as you keep that forsaken chair. I have nothing left. Don't you understand? I have nothing, nothing. What does Kirk being in that chair have to do with Gary? So all of a sudden I think that's where it becomes personal. Like Gary's not motivated necessarily by doing the right thing of, you know, what he's going to do is create is to fix the universe. He doesn't know that. He's just taking his revenge out on Kirk and I think that right, is right. that speech is like just bringing him down to realize you're not doing this for the mission. You're mm-hmm. doing this for yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think I think you just hit on something right there that really uh, is key to it is that Kirk points out the the selfish motivation to Gary 7 and and that's what kind of finally maybe breaks him is that he's not even doing he's not even fighting for the mission to which he said he's been a part of and fought for all this time. It has become about revenge. And, you know, I I think what makes this really interesting is that it is kind of a parallel then to Khan. And Khan would not be able to be talked out, but Gary seven was right. Right. So who is the superior intellect now? Right. It's the wrath of Gary. Exactly. So, all in all, I mean I, I you know, I, I think you're you're right in wanting kind of just maybe more on that, but I thought this was a good issue and it it brings together nicely the the end of this this whole run here with uh the lost years. And and I'm quite interested to see um where they go in that last issue because yeah, this really does Look like we're just going to be getting a final issue that's kind of a standalone that maybe bridges to, you know, the f- motion picture. I guess that's that's kind of what it looks like a little bit so
1: but does it bridge to the theatrical
0: cut or the director's cut? Oh, that's a good question. That's a good question. I can't even answer that. Uh, I I still don't even have my 4K new set yet cuz Amazon's back order I guess or whatever. I'm yeah, it's a whole other story, but no, I I don't know. I I, I think um it, it w- it's interesting because yes, we bring this to a close. And so we've got one issue left and I'm really going to be, you know, I am wondering what what they're going to do. But this was, I think this was a good issue. And I think one of the things I have noticed though, is that many times I find I like comics and I always have, but sometimes I, I feel as though some of the stories they're trying to tell or are so ambitious that I need more time with the stories. And so um, I appreciate their ambition. But a story like this, especially, I just felt like I needed more time.
1: I The problem I feel I have with comics is I, I feel like I read them too fast. I don't mm-hmm. stay on them long enough. That's why I was saying it, it would be good if I could read this issue one more time. Because, you know, it, it, it's a fast read. You know, it's a quick right. read. and And I need to sometimes just stop... Mm -hmm. And take it in panel by panel a little more than just reading through it and like 15, 20 minutes later, whatever it takes, you know, I'm done because it just seems to go by so quick. But what I would love to do now that this series is ending is go back. And of course, it would take me a long time to read them all unless I do read them fairly quickly, but go through the whole series again, knowing where this is going.
0: Yeah, no, I I think that would be. Something that would be really interesting to see how it all plays together. It's almost like when you watch a television show, you know, and you kind of want to go back and binge it, basically. Yes. So that you can kind of pick up on all the things you might have missed. So absolutely, I'm right there with you. So, well, really fun to, to, you know, get a chance to almost close out year five. But I don't know about you, Bruce, but maybe we should go catch some Fallen Gods.
1: I mean, that's typically what someone does after they read a comic.
0: Well, Bruce, we are continuing on in our 24th Century series, and this is not a Typhon pack series book, but it is the next book chronologically, and it is Titans, Fallen Gods. And, you know, this book honestly really does pick up right where we kind of left off with what happened with Andor and honestly the political so- separation that has come and the the andorian situation basically the fallout like the, this whole book is dealing with that fallout and i was really enjoying the this whole side of the story where we're dealing with what's going on with the andorians and the, the way in which the Andorians on Titan and throughout the Federation have been placed on, in this conundrum of being forced to choose between Andor and the Federation. And because the Andorian government has requested and called all Andorians to come home basically to procreate because of the situation that they're in. Uh, and so arbitrarily, you've you've put this kind of political boundary and this this cultural boundary between Andorians and the rest of the Federation. Uh, and it's not necessarily the most helpful thing for the Andorians and or the Federation. And And so I really liked this whole part of the story. In fact, it was probably my favorite part of the story.
1: Mm, That's interesting. I would say that it is probably my favorite part of the story too. I find the Endorians to be very interesting as a species and as a community, government, so and so forth. And here are the Endorians who are part of the Federation and who are a founding member of the Federation, and they've been a this member for two centuries. And now that they leave the Federation, they want all the Andorians to come home, like you said, for the reasons said. But what I really enjoyed about this is not all the Andorians want to go home, especially the ones that are part of the crew of the Titan. And Riker gives them the option. He says, you know, you you tell me what you want. You you're welcome to stay, but you know, Starfleet's gonna send a ship to come get you and take you home. But if you want to go home you can go home and they all elect to stay because they don't view themselves as just being Endorians. they view themselves mm-hmm. as being right. Starfleet right. they have their own mission and i i really like that i really like that story
0: yeah and well, and i think one of the things that makes it so interesting is and and honestly We get Pava talking about this specifically, this idea of, you know, that literally overnight there have been these arbitrary political boundaries that have been set between um, the Andorians, especially those that are part of the Federation and in Starfleet and and themselves. And by singling out a, a people only to be one thing. Like that you're only Andorian, but that you're not all of these other things. Right. And and so I, I thought it was fascinating to see this political separation happen. And it was so timely that we would only see people as one thing, that we would make one thing about them. The overarching thing about them, it's the it's the thing that gives them complete definition, as if they're not a holistic person, that they're only Andorians, that they aren't, you know, also engineers or uh, parents or you know uh, all of these other things that they would be in their lives, that they would only be defined by one thing in their life uh, here, and that that creates this again this arbitrary boundary between them and everyone else was just it was so timely because i see that happen all the time these days where we just start to look at people as only one thing and as set of, instead of holistic beings that they are and the multitude of things to which somebody is um and that uh, how damaging that is um and and we see that play out in in these andorian characters on titan who they love their jobs on the Titan. They've worked hard for their jobs on the Titan. They've worked hard for Starfleet. For them, their identity is not just that they're Andorians, but they're also Federation citizens. That they're also, you know, all the, the positions that they hold, the jobs that they do, the relationships they have beyond just their Andorian relationships. And so I, I really appreciated this on the book and and in all honesty I wish it might have been even deeper in the story even more pronounced in the story and he had even more focus on this than anything else because I felt like this was really the quintessential essence of what this story needed to do not only for the greater whole but to really get to kind of like zero in and focus on one ship and, and the Andorian members of that crew facing the aftermath and the fallout of what happened in the previous book, it was was really good. I would have liked to seen
1: more of this, of the Andorian situation in this book, but I think that it was not focused on as much probably because we're going mm-hmm. to get more of it in later books. And so I think they're probably reserving some of it for that. But yeah, I mean, you said exactly what I was going to say, and that is, you know, they want to be there. They That's their place. They, they made a decision in their lives to pursue this career, and they're doing what they love. And they don't want to be pulled away from what they love to do and work, what they've worked so hard to do just because they're an Andorian. Like, that's the only reason they have to take a lesser job or go back home is because of their race. I mean <laughs> no it's like to your point there's so many levels to people they're more than just a race they're more than just a species they are an individual that like you said they they're an engineer they may be a, a wife they may be you know the child of somebody they they may be a, mu- a magician or a musician or whatever it is. like there's so many aspects to people right i mean i don't want to be pulled away from my family because I'm not originally from the state that I live in now. <laughs> I mean, that's like how ridiculous right, it would be. Right,
0: right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and it would it would plays into is this idea of what f- what what fear is making people do, and or what fear can cause people to do. Because nobody's making anyone do anything, but fear has really creeped in. Uh, and and fear is a part of the story because you know we even have allusions to like all the way back to what happened in world war II with the japanese internment camps. But we also think about, um, the fear that the dominion caused for the federation during the dominion war. And then of course with the Borg and now with this whole issue here with the Typhon pact and that the federation has had a really rough time in the sense that they have so many things that have been kind of chipping away at their values and m- making it difficult to live out those values, uh, to their fullest extent, in the way we would think the Federation would, really putting them to a test, and the Federation is fearful now because of the Andorians, because of the connection that the Tholians and uh, have have with that situation, and of course then with the Typhon Pact, and they've sown this fear so deeply, and it's causing you know um, the Federation to kind of act in ways that it wouldn't, but it's also because of the broken trust, the broken trust that's happened between. Andoria and the Federation um both ways, and uh you know this whole idea that Fe- you know Starfleet would be sending the Andorians to reassign them to less sensitive posts because they're not sure who they can trust, and so there's just fear that's permeating the alpha quad- alpha and beta quadrants right now uh and it's interesting that this book really is playing that out. And I, again, I think this whole, because of this is, is the situation is so much tied to the Andorian situation. I just honestly wish the whole book really had been about this more than anything else in the book. Because um, a lot of the rest of the story I didn't connect with as much. But this I just thought was great.
1: I like the rest of the story, but yeah, this is my favorite aspect of the whole book, though. Um, yeah, the whole idea of fear, it's just, you know, i and it hasn't been addressed in this book, and I can't recall if it is in others. I don't think it is, but I would think that the Federation would have this fear that they've lost Andor, they have that Andor has left the Federation, and this could lead to others leaving. And the Federation just, could just dissolve and go away. And the whole universe could look totally different. Well, maybe not the whole universe, the Alpha Quadrant, for the most part, could look totally different. And, but even, you know, again, that creates that fear. And, and who do you trust? Like you said, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, you have Endorian officers and you would think that you can trust them because they're not part of this political movement. You Mm -hmm. know, this is something politicians are doing. These are crew members on a ship that have nothing to do with politics. So they're Mm -hmm. out of this. But then it's like, but are they loyal to the political decisions of their people? And if there's the loyalty there, how do we know we can trust them? Mm -hmm. How do we know that they're not going to do something to uh, affect a mission in a negative way? And I mean, it's like in some ways you can't blame the Federation Mm -hmm. at the same time. It's like, you know. You got to be careful. And, but I think Riker had the right move. You know, Riker, right. give him the chance to talk to his officers and figure out if they're in or out, if they're loyal or not, if they're trustworthy or not, instead of just sending a ship and say, nope, sure, we're going to send them all back to Earth or whatever and have them, mm-hmm. you know, r- work on replicators for yep. fresher bananas.
0: Well, I think, you know, Part of that fear and, and fear taking over is that trust goes both ways, and so if the Andorian officers were to say, "Yes, I, I'm a Federation citizen. I I am a Starfleet officer, and I wish to continue to serve in in you know that capacity." Why why wouldn't we give them the benefit of the doubt when? their records and who they are and everything they've been through shows them to be people that we should be able to trust. You know, and and I, I think it's interesting to see the Federation immediately jump to, oh, the Andorians, we can't trust them and and especially since, like you said, you know, Riker, you know, just give them the choice. You, you can go home or you can stay. Either one is OK with us. We understand whatever choice you make. You know, um, I, I was I was and I understand why the Federation is making this choice. Um, but I also. Also understand, you know why Riker is making the choice that he is then because he's not going to be driven by fear. You know, he's not going to be driven to do something that he sees to be against the very principles of the, of the Federation. Um, and I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, it, the whole situation is wonderfully complicated in, in the best of ways, um, you know, for Star Trek. And again, this part of the story, I just, I was really gravitating towards and loving,
1: and you can't blame the Andorians, really. I mean, the Federation should look at it and say, you know, we did wrong. We yeah, lost the exactly. trust of the Andorians. So why don't you trust Andorians when you're the one who, who's really at fault for what happened? That's what I don't really understand. But to your point, you know, that's there's That's a great people, point,
0: Bruce. You know? Wow. That's, yeah, absolutely. The Federation, you kind of brought this on yourself. Why are you the ones who are mistrusting the Andorians, especially when they have every reason to be the ones mistrusting you?
1: And maybe that's the whole reason. They're like, well, I don't know if those Andorian officers can trust us. And if they can't trust Mm -hmm.
0: us, Mm -hmm. we can't trust them. So it's this whole game of, like, who trusts who? And instead of erring on the side of trust, we're going to err on the side of mistrust.
1: Right. Immediately.
0: Like, without any provocation to do so. Right. You know, it's not as though the Andorian officers have given uh, any reason for for them to not be mistrusted, especially since they are just being given the choice to leave if they so choose. So, uh, yeah, I'm right there with you. Obviously, it's it's interesting to watch. And I think that's the whole point here is, is to be able to play out, you know, things not going perfectly. Um, and that's the whole point of Star Trek is to really help us kind of work through issues uh, through these mediums. And so,
1: isn't that the whole point of this book? Yeah. The whole theme
0: of it is mistrust. I mean, as we Mm -hmm. go through the rest
1: of this, we're, we're going to bring that up several times.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. Well, and we get to, uh, the planet here and we have the, the preservationists and the deconstructors in, in and honestly kind of run. I'm rereading the first Foundation series book uh, and it reminded me much of that because this is a planet to which uh, is connected to the Brahma Shiva that we met uh, in the previous book with Titan and Seize the Fire and those people who built that um they had a uh they had an impact on this planet by creating the technology to to save it from the supernova that had happened uh on the sun in this system and it's it's been there for so long that the people have kind of forgotten uh the past they have forgotten the the science that led them there and they see the science now as magic and that magic has led to this religion and there's this whole back and forth between the two characters. And I'm really wondering how you felt about this part of the story.
1: It was not my favorite part of the story. It wasn't that I didn't like it. Uh, I I somewhat enjoyed aspects of it because of these two sides where one seems to be more of the progressives that, you know, maybe that's not the right word, but one, it's, we're back to that trust and mistrust. You know, mm-hmm. one trusts the technology or right. these fallen gods or whatever to keep their planet in order and the others don't. They don't have the trust and they want to take it over and stop it and tear it down I mean, in some ways the parallels kind of remind me of, you know, people who are talking about climate change or anything else, you know, that is going on in our current environment today of, you know, those who believe we should do this to protect the planet and those who feel like, well, we don't have to do anything or whatever it is. So, I mean, the fact that they are not a warp capable society, I kind of enjoyed that, that they're kind of like, I don't know. They're just they're just different. I can't. They had stocks and stuff right. like that or whatever.
0: <laughs> well, right, and it's interesting because they are a society to which, uh, is come from a society that had technology comparable with warp type technology, right? And yet they've they've completely kind of abandoned it, um, because they've they've forgotten it basically um and i i think you're right in calling out the idea that like this is this is trying to play with the whole ideas of of you know those that might kind of be against ideas for tradition or you know um see them as some sort of um heresy um you know theologically um i i think the thing that i really struggled with which is it's not a terrible idea but i honestly found it kind of offensive because it's so so cheapened like there's no nuance to any of these these sides um it's very just kind of black and white for for this and and in all honesty, it really had nothing to do with the story. I was like, just going to say. It doesn't do anything for the story. So not, it not feels only more is like it...
1: A, it's a setup. Mm-hmm. It just yeah. sets up the story.
0: Yep. And there's... Uh, so there's really... Because there's no nuance to it, and because it really doesn't feel um, important, really, to the story in and of itself, I, it just really bothered me. Like... Uh, um I I would much rather see more nuance in these type of stories. And that's where I think, like, Deep Space Nine, when it dealt with these type of issues, did so well, you know, because you would deal with the Bajorans and someone like Kira with a lot of nuance when it came to, like, people of faith. Um, And this just felt like uh, a reversion to a more TOS kind of version. Like there's clearly one side that's right. There's clearly one side that's wrong. And it just makes the people who are on the quote unquote, the wrong side look completely stupid. Um, And I, I don't like that. I, I, I want more nuance, especially from this type of star Trek. I think by this point, we'd already seen it done really well. And again, like in a deep space nine. And so, and it was this book just as a a reading standpoint, it's really confusing because, one, you have all the Andorian names, which, can you stop just writing the full Andorian names and call them their short name? It's like, write it once and then call them their short name because reading those names over and over again gets really confusing. So, writers don't do that anymore. Um, and I guess it doesn't even matter because the lit verse is about to go kaput anyway. So, But, two... Uh, The same thing happened with this planet, Tayeth, because we kept having these, like, they made up pronouns for them because you could tell they're a species that's probably more of an insectoid type species, and so they they don't have, you know, the same type of, um, of course, male, female, which I get all that. I think it's interesting to, like, play with those type of species, but it's just more confusing when you're reading it than helpful. So, that was something that really bothered me about this part of the story as well. Not that the creativity, which is very creative. And I think it's really interesting, obviously enterprise let us let us really explore, you know, different societies, you know, like the insectoids and those kind of things, which I think is really cool. But it, it for reading purposes, it just made it confusing.
1: I can see some of that. It, it didn't bother me as much as it bothered you. Um, only because, like you said, it it didn't really really wasn't that important to the story. As I said mm-hmm. earlier, it does yeah. feel like it was more of like a setup to the situation to play out the story that really involves more of one one six and two and White Blue, which we're going to get into later. I feel like it sets up that storyline, which yep. I would yep. say is probably more of the A storyline, and the Endorian oh, yeah. situation yep. is the B, and and this group. These people on this planet, they they just fell
0: to the background. Like they yeah. they just didn't yep. have any importance anymore. So, yep. I, and there's no payoff for them in the end either. No. Like we created this story, and then we're. We're in this story, and then there's absolutely no payoff to them whatsoever. And I
1: didn't even think about that until you were talking, because as you were talking through it, I was like, "Wait, what? Yeah, what was the payoff? What happens later with them? I don't think that was ever addressed." <laughs> right. So Yeah, they it's just not- kind of felt. That, yeah, <laughs> it's almost as if you know Michael Martin just had this idea, and then he just kind of moved away from it, and then just let it go. <laughs> you know.
0: Right. Well, like you said, it's it's more of a plot contrivance because we. We need to care about saving the planet. But there's not enough investment in the end because there's no follow-through with that part of the story. So, it, it yeah, it's one of those places where you're just like, okay, we spent that time in those chapters, and it just felt more like padding for the book than actual importance for the book. It honestly, I feel like, almost would have been better... If the people on the planet that they find, they find out that there's a civilization there, but these people have no idea about it. And and so we wouldn't have had to spend so much time with them. Um, I think that would have been much stronger storyline to just have, you know, the the crew of the Titan trying to do this in a way that won't destroy the Prime Directive but, I also like saves them
1: or or just at least we don't even really get to know any of these characters. It's just mm-hmm. we get a message from one one Six and it informs the crew what's going on in the planet that there's these two factions that are fighting each other over this, and it's just kind of lets you know what's going on in the planet without mm-hmm. spending yeah. time setting it up and then just abandoning it mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, 116 is this, you know, maintenance module that is the artificial intelligence that has been there for eons. We we honestly don't really get an idea of how long, but it's been quite a long time. And they're connected with the same creators who created the Brahma Shiva probe um, that we had, like we said, in, in Seize the Fire... Uh, And they end up needing Tuvok and White Blue, this three-way mind meld, uh, to get the information they need to be able to fix themselves because they've been broken uh, for so many years. And they need that information uh, to be able to fully repair themselves and be able to continue Uh, To keep these people out of danger. Uh, And so this part of the story really plays into Tuvok wrestling with what to do with this knowledge. And to me, that was the most interesting thing about it because his wife tells him, you know, you're withholding this, you know, eco sculpting knowledge. Are you not demonstrating the same quote unquote wisdom that caused Andor to leave the Federation? And that's where also that fear comes in. Tuvok has the fear because he's seen this type of information, you know, obviously from his days on the Excelsior with the Genesis Project. He's seen it go very wrong. And that's what he fears is that humanity and the Federation will and as a whole will not deal wisely with this. And and that's where the fear and trust all come in. And that's what made that part of the story really, really work as well because all the themes were really coming together.
1: Yeah, I really like this part of the story. I I love the fact that Tuvok is struggling with, do I divulge this information? Do I tell the Federation what I know or do I not? And he pretends that he doesn't have it. And only his wife sees through that, that he still carries that information, that he has retained it. And White Blue is deactivated. White blue They're trying to get through to White Blue and can't, and hoping to also gather that information. But to Tuvok's point, You know, this could be very instrumental in helping to revive these planets that were devastated by the Borg. But at the same time, this could be used as a weapon. Of course, we're going back to the Genesis device, you know, and how that was the same type of situation. This could revive planets or it could be used as a weapon. And he doesn't know if he should even... I don't think he even wants this information anymore because he doesn't know what he really should do with it. I mean, in some ways it, it kind of becomes a cop out when we get to the end that the information is then removed from him. And so now he doesn't have to worry about it. In some ways I'd like to see him always like carry this for a while and, and deal with this a little more, but it, it did make the story interesting to see him struggle with that fear and also, he's doing the same things that the Federation did the Andorians, mm-hmm. right? right? It's like it's always t- to protect, but then also harms. Right.
0: You right. Know? I thought it was great because you mentioned you didn't like that it felt like a cop out that's taken away, but it also kind of felt like they had taken away a big easy button from being able to just reset the universe. You know, they can't bring all the people back, but they could restore the planets that the Borg had destroyed. And, and, and in some ways you're kind of taking away the consequences of the aftermath of the whole Destiny trilogy, right? Like, part of that was re-kind of making the Federation in a way of having to really deal with something terrible. And at the same time, I think that it plays as a lesson to Tuvok. Tuvok didn't trust enough. He didn't trust his friends. He didn't trust the Federation that he spent his life, you know, serving. Um, and I think that that's a lesson for him to begin to trust more that, because he knows the answer. Remember, like, you know, he, they, they gave him the answer. They gave him a brief glimpse of how the, it could have been used amazingly, and then it's gone. And so he's now haunted by having made the wrong choice. He's haunted now by knowing that he did make the wrong choice. And so I think it will hopefully serve as a lesson to Tuvok in the future. In many ways, that choice is a godlike choice. I'm going to choose to, quote unquote, protect you because you can't choose the right thing to do with this information you know and that is a very godlike type choice to make um and is it really our choice to do that i don't know that i think it's a really great question i don't
1: i don't know if any choice he makes would be right or wrong and any choice he does make is almost godlike because mm-hmm. he's holding on to such big power, <laughs> mm-hmm. the big knowledge. Yeah. And, well, and so, it's it's yeah. that
0: idea of like that a tool is neither evil nor bad. It's just what you do with it, you know, yes. and that's the same thing with this knowledge. It's not good or bad. It's just what the Federation would choose to do with it. And he's not trusting that the Federation itself would choose to do Right by it. But that's you know, the problem and, because the yeah. the
1: federation are multiple individuals. Right. So you never know who's going to get hold exactly. of that information.
0: Yeah. Yep. And, that's and, the that's the fear. Right. You know, and that's where it all comes in, like the fear and the trust and all of this. And so again, I think the fact that there are no easy answers is what makes this whole part of the story and this whole area of the story really work. Um and so yeah, I I really liked the way that this played in with the other themes. I think that this is the the place where the the story can really shines. Um, so Riker is told that the capital line is going to come, uh, which is a vesta class starship. So they're going to, you know, they got slipstream. They're going to catch up with it, Titan, and take the Andorians back. And so they're expecting that to be the ship that shows up, and what really shows up first uh, and surprises everyone is that. Uh, Andorian ship and apparently the Andorian and slash Tholians are working together on this plan to be able to capture the population in a very tricky transporter accident. Let's make copies of people so we can solve the problem. And at the same time we get the sense that the Tholians have a way of being able to maybe control the, andorians or make them make these andorians that would be made as copies more amenable to staying even if they didn't want to in the first place so what did you think of all of this i think this this
1: is i I, oh gosh i don't even know i don't think this was as compelling as the other storylines that we were just talking about but i also found it to be a bit fun in a sense, it's a little silly. And I, I don't really understand why the Tholians are doing this, why the Tholians would want to help the Andorians in this way, why they would want to duplicate Andorians. Is it because they feel like maybe they can manipulate the duplicates better and then gain more power with using duplicates to help move the Andorians in the direction they want them to move in? And now, it just as you were talking through that, it makes me wonder if all these members of this ship are actually all duplicates. Mm-hmm. And because we know that the crew that they were bringing over from the Titan, they made duplicates of. Which, by the way, as I was reading it, there were some things that were confusing. Where I was like, wait, I thought this person left the ship. Why are they still there? Wait, What's mm-hmm. going on? I was like, am I confused or something going on? And I was like, I better keep reading. And then i love find out, oh... They were duplicating the crew members. Okay, now this makes sense, but I don't know what the Tholians really expect to get out of
0: this. Hmm. Uh, see, I 100% agree, and I think the the thought process that I got was that the Tholians are going to be able to control and are kind of in the background controlling the Andorian situation much more than we realize. That's where I kind of come with this. Um, I do think that I I talked about earlier my frustrations with the story and some confusion in the writing of the story. Uh, This was another area of the story that I didn't think was very well written. And like you said, kind of there was some confusion in what's going on. And it's a little bit more clear, I guess, maybe by the end, but it was still more confusing than it needed to be in the way that it was written. And so I didn't love it. And I didn't feel like there was an I guess if I can't remember how this is picked up in the rest of the, you know, the series of books. So I'm not gonna judge it too harshly because it does feel like set up for more stories. But it, with everything that was going on here, it was another part of the book where I just felt like unfulfilled when I even got the answer as to what happened.
1: Yeah, I, I, I would say, though, my favorite aspect throughout the storyline was Pava, the Andorian mm-hmm. officer. Yeah. I enjoyed her character, but to your point, there was things that were confusing because she's on the ship, then she leaves the ship, But then she's still on the ship, and there's others on the ship, even though they can only bring one Andorian at a time. And I was like, well, why is Riker allowing there to be more than one Andorian on the ship if he said he was only going to sew one at a time, one returns, and then he sends another? And so, yeah, there was a bit of confusion. And I kept thinking, am I missing something? And I'm getting something wrong. And then Mm -hmm. I started thinking in my head, okay, maybe... Maybe there is some payoff at the end, Maybe, or, or, and then I thought if there isn't, I'll have to go back and reread some of this that I, I'm misunderstanding. So to your point, I didn't really like the fact that I was getting confused like that, but I did like the Pava character. I was yep. kind of enjoying her. So that helped mm-hmm. me through that storyline. And then when the reveal came at the end about the duplicates, I'm like, oh, so it's not me just being an idiot. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that I was supposed to be confused. So it, I kind of liked it. It didn't bother me. But it was, my le- I, it was the storyline I was less interested in. But she was right. probably the character I was most uh, favoring. Like, I really enjoyed her character. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. No, I did, too. And I uh, absolutely, I think... That's one of the things where I I, anything right now with the story that had to do with the Andorians, I was more interested in than anything else. It was frustrating that this part of the story became less enjoyable because of kind of the confusing way in which it was written. Uh, and that that I think that's my disappointment in it um, because it, it's just not as clear, and I don't know how you do it to make it more clear. But and like you said, it does feel a little bit silly and strange. And so again, I I, I won't judge it too harshly because I can't remember if it does have a good payoff later on. I don't. So remember I either. might. Yeah and and so w- as we talk through the rest of, of the 24th century books you know as we um uh kind of get through the ones we haven't talked about yet I'm going to be interested to see if we actually have any real payoff to this or if it's just some something that gets sw- swept under the rug and if that's the case I'll be kind of frustrated even more so with this book later on but I don't know I it it makes me wonder then Bruce where you kind of are with the ratings for Fallen Gods.
1: I am so glad we read this book because when I went to get it off my shelf, it wasn't there. And then I went to pull my ebook version and it wasn't there. And then I realized that I've never read this book. And I thought I had. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I've read every Titan book and I realized I somehow skipped this one and I never read it. And I'm glad now, now I can say I know I've read all the rest. But yeah, so, um, this book, as to your point, I like the Andorian storyline. Would have liked more of it, but I think we're going to get more of it when we get into the other books. I did enjoy the one one six character and the whole relationship with Tuvok and and White Blue. I mean, there isn't a whole lot of White Blue because White Blue is kind of out of it, but um, is is deactivated, but. The Tuvok storyline was very interesting to me and what he has to decide what he's going to do with that information. And it's that information that attracted 116 to reach out to him and do this mind meld with him in white blue, that knowledge. And to your point, you know, fear and mistrust is woven throughout this whole novel. And then the storyline with Pava and the Andorians on the ship was a little weird you know, a little confusing the villain on that ship. The captain was just, you know, a very basic villain, nothing much to him, but you know, overall I enjoyed it and I'm glad I got to read it. <laughs> so I've finally finished off of the Titan books. So I'll give this book one, 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 one out of six.
0: So that's five okay. out of six. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's a pretty good rating, Bruce. Goodness. Um, you know, I, I've read this book before when it, you know, came out and I rereading it again and I just, I, I like some of it and I dislike some of it as well. And so it's kind of a mixed bag for me personally. And I would say that it's probably just over average for me in the sense that I would probably give this like 2.75 out of 5 and partially th- th- that's the case because there's just too much of the book that doesn't work well enough it it was close but no cigar in that sense uh and i i you know i i really wish that the themes Uh, We had dealt with um, were just played out over all of the stories better. And it's really the story on the planet that just leaves me completely flat. Like I just, I I don't respond to it at all. Uh, And so, yeah, I I wish it would have been different. But, you know, all in all, I'm glad that we reread it. And it, it is fun to just even see, even though this isn't a Typhon Pack series book, we connected to the next story perfectly like we really played out um you know the repercussions of that i loved seeing that fall out so that was really cool
1: i'm so glad we're going back and rereading well first time me reading this one but rereading all these books in the 24th century and i'm it's so odd that i can't remember all the books that we you know previously read and what happens in these stories i remember vaguely some things so i'm curious to see how this plays out in the next books
0: yeah me too um when it comes to that bruce you know is going to let people know kind of where we are uh in the series so uh we have Gotten through Fallen Gods. The next book in this uh, series that we're doing is The Struggle Within. That's a Typhon Pack novel book. Um, And then um, we're going to read the next Typhon Pack books after that with Plagues of Night, Raise the Dong, and Breakmanship. And honestly, that'll be all of the series we've covered. Um, we the rest of the books we've already covered before. Um, throughout uh, literary treks run here, which is fantastic. So we kind of completed the full version. Uh, now, I'm sure there's people wondering. There's one book in there that we're not going to cover, and it's indistinguishable from magic. And I'm just going to be honest. That might be one of the worst Star Trek books I've ever read. I remember reading it the first time and I hated it so much. I just never wanted to read it again. So I apologize to anybody who wanted us to cover that one, but that's why we're not going to cover that one.
1: You know, I I don't remember all the details of that one, but I remember thinking it was a little odd. And when I saw that we were coming up on it, I was like, I wonder if I'll like it better if I reread it, but I'm not that anxious to
0: reread it. So I'm I'm yeah. good with that. Maybe, maybe one day when we've run out of other things to cover. That's what we'll cover. But um, Bruce, uh, again, uh, you know, it's always fun when we're doing this. Like you said, I'm enjoying rereading this part of the series. And, and it's really kind of fun to be here because, you know, we're right uh, next to Coda. Coda is about to begin. And so it's it's not a bad place to be uh, in this series of books. But when you're not here on Literary Tracks, where else can people find you? Well, I'm also on Positively Trek with Dan Gunther, who,
1: of course, used to be part of the show. And uh, we talk everything Star Trek from episodes to movies to comics to books to news. I don't You name it. We'll we'll talk about it. And uh, also on Star Wars Report, we're wrapping up the final year of Star Wars Report, which I guess it will be May when we do the last episode. I don't know when we're recording episodes. I just get a text from Riley and all of a sudden I'm on the show and I, I don't know what's going on. Anyway, uh, then you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex.
0: And of course uh, you could find me here on the network uh, doing the 602 club, which is our general geek show talking about all the phantoms outside of Star Trek that we love. There's so much to talk there. Uh, and of course we've got Snyder cuts in that feed as well. And then, As we're recording this, we'll have soon coming out in October, Assembling Avengers, where John Mills and I are going to walk through and kind of evaluate the MCU from start to finish. You can also uh, find me doing The Orb with Chris Jones, talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We've got a surprise coming up for you soon as well, so look out for that starting here at the end of September. And you can also find me over on the Nerd Party Network doing two shows. One is Owl Post with Drea Kaufman where we talked through every single chapter of the Harry Potter series one chapter at a time. And then you could find me doing aggressive negotiations with the aforementioned John Mills as we talk about Star Wars each and every week. But want to thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.